Man, every time the choir sings, I get nervous. I'm like, how am I going to follow this? Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We will be in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And our focus is going to be on verses 4 and 5. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. And I'm going to back up for a little bit of context, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. So I'm asking you to please stand with me as we read together Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people, beginning in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This is God's holy word for us as people. Father, we ask that you would come now and send your Holy Spirit from heaven to do what only he can do, to take the reading of your word and make it powerful and effective, and then to take especially now the preaching of your word and to make it sound forth as your word, to write its truth upon our hearts, to change us, to transform our minds, to renew our minds, and make us more like Christ today. We ask it for His sake and for His glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Take my traditional first sip. Well, this morning... This morning we are going to begin a new sermon series that I'm very excited about. I've been talking with some of the elders about this. Um, last session meeting, we mentioned it off and on in, in private conversation. And this new series, um, it's on your, um, your handout for your sermon notes. It's the first line on there. It's the ten one another commandments. <laughs> the ten one another commandments. I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Let me first connect this series to what we've talked about in the last three weeks or so. Here's the connection to the sermons, the two-part sermon I did on Psalm 119, 129 to 136. And, you know, remember there were eight, eight points and you know, no one remembers them because they all started with the same letter and you know, who, who knows? <laughs> who knows what they are? But you remember the sermon happening, hopefully. <laughs> well, here are three of those L words. Love, long, and learn. In that sermon we talked about, we need to love 
God's law. Not just the cool stories in the Exodus and the Gospels and the prophecies and things like that. But we need to love the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. To love the law. And we also said in that sermon we need to long for obedience to that law. To hunger and thirst after righteousness as Jesus said to do in the Beatitudes. For those who do so will be satisfied. To long after God's commandments. Love his law. Long to keep it. And then one of the third L's there was learn. Okay, so I love the law. Good. Step one complete. I long to keep it and I mourn and lament when I don't keep it. Okay, check. Now, now as I go about doing it, where do I start? What do I actually now do? Uh, This is my posture and my attitude. Love and long, now I need to start doing it. Do the law, obey. And that's where learn comes in. Learn the specifics. Dig into scripture and mine it, excavate, pull out the specific things where God says, do this, don't do that. And now I can act, now I know what specifically to do. I can get busy doing that. Love long and learn God's specific law. Get into the specifics and find your joy in walking that narrow path of obedience. It's not a burden. It's not, oh gosh, here we go. I guess I'm a Christian, so i got to do what God says. And, <sighs> it's just such a burden, because I'd rather be doing this and that. And Okay, buddy, I'm a Christian. so Never should have prayed that prayer. <laughs> right. First John tells us, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And then it adds, and His commandments are not burdensome to the born again soul this is not some heavy yoke that I have to bear this is the path of joy of freedom this is what I get to do I've been set free from sin I've been set free from bondage now I get to run without these shackles on my legs I can run free and full in the path of obedience and what a joy it gives to the born again heart that's where we're trying to get that was what that Psalm 119 two parter was about Now the connection to last week's sermon about flipping the script, reversal, reversing what the old lawyer in that parable thought righteousness was about, what salvation's about, what the law's all about. And in that sermon we focus there with Jesus and the kingdom, his message about the kingdom, it's telling us to focus on inner transformation. Focus on inner transformation, not just ticking the boxes and doing the outward legalistic stuff where it turns into a little checklist that I, get to, that I get to check off and be proud of and brag about. But it's about becoming the kind of person the law points us towards. Becoming inside what the law tells us to do on the outside. We become the kind of person who walks in this path of obedience. And that takes inner transformation. That's what righteousness of the heart looks like. That's what a saved person, someone who's righteous before God in Christ, this is what they try to look like in practice. To bring their life in the real world and their identity in Christ as close together as they can get them. 
I'm perfectly righteous in Christ. I'm pretty rotten in life. But let's get transformed. Let's go through sanctification. Let's be transformed. Let's live the way the kingdom calls me to live. And bring those two as close together as we can. That's last week. And the point is this. Here's the connection to the series. The point is this. We need to get busy serving Christ and the kingdom in the specifics. Get busy in the specifics. Because we've already been saved and redeemed in Christ by the gospel through faith alone, grace alone. All that has to be there first. And then out of that comes this walk of obedience in the specifics. And so that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to get down to some specifics. And I hope it's uncomfortable. I hope it's challenging. I know it will be for me. So I'm going to try and make it that way for you so I'm not alone up here. We're going to get into some specifics. And so I'm calling this the 10 one another commandments. So here's what I've done. I'm surprised. Maybe you can find this on the internet. I I couldn't. Maybe I'm just bad at Google. But I couldn't find a list where someone took every time in the Bible. Well, I mainly focused on the New Testament. But I couldn't find a list where every time in the Bible we're told to do X, Y, or Z to one another or for one another, all those one another passages, where they were all grouped into one and put into like categories. I couldn't find where that was done. Maybe you can find it. I couldn't. So I did, so I, I made one up myself. And so I took all the one another's, and there are a truckload of these. They're almost all in the New Testament, but there's some in the Old Testament as well. And, and, and there's a bunch that's related to the one another's in the Bible, and I had to get creative. And what I've done is I've taken all of them, and I've grouped them together and categorized them into ten basic one another commandments. The ten, the ten one another commandments. So that's what we're going to do in this series. We're just going to march through these ten commandments about how we should be and do for one another. Dozens of these reduced down to just these ten. Now, all of these one another commandments, they flow out of this biblical reality that we read about in our passage today. That we are each members of one another in the body of Christ. So this week is going to be setting us up for all the one another's we should be doing. There are verses that say we are members of one another, and then there are verses that say what we should therefore do for one another. So in a sense, this is the preamble to the Ten Commandments, the Ten One Another Commandments. And what I want to start with, before we get into this preface that we read about in our passage, what I want to start with is a few minutes discussing with you the obstacles that we face as a church and why it is we're doing this series right now. So this isn't, um, th- these list of obstacles is, is a bit generic. It's, it doesn't just apply to, to this church and to, and to you as individuals. So there's no finger pointing. I don't have anybody in mind. And this doesn't characterize everyone, so there's no accusation here. This is just the problems that the church right now, ours included, face. I have seven of these obstacles. Seven obstacles 
to the one another's that we have to overcome. Here's number one. The first obstacle that we need to overcome is simple ignorance of God's commandments. Just simple ignorance of God's commandments. Now, before you get upset, ignorance doesn't mean you're unintelligent. It just means you don't know something. Doesn't mean you're not smart, it just means maybe you don't know. And so one thing we're going to do in this series is we're going to get acquainted intimately with these specifics. I mean, you can't very well do what God wants you to do if you don't know what He wants you to do. So ignorance of what God wants us to do gets in the way of obedience. Here's a second obstacle. The monotony of life. All of us have our daily routines. All of us have our weekly in and out rhythm that we go through. We all have bills. We all have lawns. We all have vehicles that need to be attended to. We have bills and we have family issues and we got to get groceries and we got to wash the dishes and we got to do laundry and we got to balance the checkbook and we, you know, we, we need some time to relax and we need some time with friends and we need time to eat and we need time to do this and that and the people who work, I mean, you, you've got your jobs to go to. If you're retired, you might have this project you're working on, fixing this, that thing you've always wanted to do. Now I have time to get around to it. I mean, and we get into we get so caught up in our own stuff that we just, it just tends to squeeze out the time we need to be doing the things God commands us to do. It doesn't mean you're, you're going through your daily routine sinning like on a big sin rampage. It just means, look, you, you got the stuff you got to do in life and it takes up a lot of time. And if we're not careful... Our, our, our schedules will tend to fill up and we just won't have any time left over to do what God commands us to do. The monotony of life. This is why when people who used to be close and one of them moves away and now they, now they almost never talk anymore, it's not because they stopped being friends. It's just because, look, now there's this distance between us and now I've got all my stuff going on here and you're busy over there. And that time we used to spend together, we filled it with other stuff. And now we, now we don't have a, a, a close relationship anymore. Well, that happens with the Lord. And that happens with one another. The monotony of life. The busyness of our daily routines and our weekly rhythms. And that means we have to prioritize. We have to adjust our schedule. We have to make an intentional point to be doing what God calls us to do. Here's a third obstacle. Avoidance of other people that we don't know very well. It's a little easier to take people that I know well and start doing some of these one another things that Scripture calls us to do together. It's, a little, it's easier for me to do those things if I already know you. But the visitor and the people that have been coming, haven't been coming very long, that I, do, I just don't have a relationship with, I don't know them very well. I, t- I tend to just avoid those people. And, and not out of any kind of like, I don't like that guy. It just, I don't know him. So I'm not, gonna, I'm not in his life. So it's hard for me to do the one another's when we don't have a relationship. And it can be really awkward to just go up and say, hey, can we start growing spiritually together? I'm sorry, what's your name? <laughs> right? And so how do you even break the ice? What do you do? How do you, how, do you, how do you initiate these relationships with each other? If you don't know each other very well, 
If you're not talking, if you're not communicating, it's hard to, it's hard to do it. So we avoid. <laughs> Avoidance of others that we don't know very well. Hesitancy to speak to the stranger or the visitor. That gets in the way. That's an obstacle to us being the church God calls us to be. Here's a fourth. Fourth obstacle. Hardness of heart. I mean, let's not forget that we're still sinners. And some of us just downright don't want to do it. We don't want to do the one another's. Stay out of my business. I don't need you. Why are you calling me? Stop bugging me about my obedience. You Pharisee, you hypocrite. Check, check, the, check for the beam in your own eye before you start knocking on my door about why I'm not doing what I should be doing. Right? We put up walls. I don't want these people in my life. I don't mind seeing them on Sunday. I'll shake your hand. Well, I won't shake your hand right now. I'll wave, we'll bump elbows, and I don't want to see you again until next Sunday. Leave me alone. We really don't want to be around each other sometimes. We still sin against each other. Our hearts get hard against one another, or we just stop caring. It's easy to do. That's where the enemy wants us to stay. Separated, isolated, divided, apathetic uninterested oh so and so is going through a hard time well fine somebody else will pray for him delete the email from Gladdy. <laughs> right sometimes we just have a hard heart we still struggle doesn't mean you're a bad person it just means look we're all still sinful and we still have these bad sinful habits that we're trying to get over this is an obstacle to us being the one another body of Christ that that we're called to be. So those are the first four obstacles. Ignorance of God's commands. Just the monotony of life. We avoid situations and people we don't know very well. And some of us still struggle with a hard heart. We're still dealing with sin. Not just some of us, all of us. Your pastor included. Last three. Here I want to focus a little more on these. This is a new one. This is a new obstacle that all of us are having to deal with. It's the limitations of COVID. And I'll never forget when, my, when I first got here, me and Sarah first got here in August. Right? We sat in the congregation. We were over in the fellowship hall. It was, like, well, I think, August 2nd. We had just moved here the day before. And Ron was preaching his last sermon. And so we just sat and watched and listened and participated from the congregation. And then the next Sunday, uh, Dan Stewart preached for us. And I got to be the assisting elder. And he preached a sermon called, How to Be the Church in a Post-COVID World. Now that we're dealing with this COVID stuff, how does that change how we have to do church? And it's, I mean, as, I would love it if we could get back to as normal as it was. But I don't think it's ever going to be quite the same. And so we have these other issues we have to worry about. We can't be together as we would like because of distance. Social distancing, lockdowns, quarantine. Some of us wish we could be together more. But with COVID stuff, it's just not that simple anymore. We can't just 
willy-nilly get together like we used to. There's so many other now concerns and, that we have to take into account. And one of the things that I'm really worried about, and me and Glenn talked about this after prayer meeting one Wednesday, is that I'm afraid that the masking and the distancing, as necessary as, as, as that may be, I'm concerned that we don't let this habituate us into seeing other people as unclean. That everyone out there is a possible virus spreader and they're, and they're unclean. And so you got to stay over there and don't get in here because you could harm me. You could make me sick. You could do damage. And we see people as risky. We see them uh, every time. You, I can't even clear my throat in public sometimes. So I think, who's going <laughs> to... And it just, it's, it, to me, it's habituating us, possibly. Not for everybody. But I'm afraid that it's habituating us to see people in a wrong light. To see people in an unclean, stay over there. I, no, it's better if we don't get together. It's better if we never really get back to the way it was. Because now we're so much more conscious of germs and sickness and risk. As ne- again, as necessary as all the precautions are, and we take precautions in this church. As necessary as it is, we, sh- we can't let it habituate us into seeing people as unclean, untouchable, unapproachable. All of us are worried about ourselves or our loved ones or people that are at higher risk, and all of that is legitimate, and I'm not criticizing anybody for having those concerns. Don't hear me wrong. But we have to be careful that it doesn't change our mindset of how we see each other. COVID has its limitations that it places on the body. I'm thankful that in this state we haven't had quite the same restrictions that other churches and other states have had to deal with. That's been a blessing. I'm thankful for that. But this is an obstacle, the limitations of COVID. Here's another. This is number six. So two left. The divisions of politics. Just like COVID can make us see people possibly as being unclean, unsafe, Politics lately can make us suspicious that each other are bad. You're not just unclean. You might, it's not just you might get me sick. It's that you might be a bad person for the thoughts you have in your head. For the things that you've said with your mouth. You might be a bad person. It's so hard right now to discuss anything political, social. I mean, it's always been hard, but not, maybe not quite like this. It's, we're in a climate where we've become so angry and accusatory of each other over every little issue. And that, and if, if we start to realize what other people's political opinions are and which way they lean and maybe which way they voted, I'm not fellowshipping with that guy. I'm sorry, she believes what? No, that's evil. She's a bad person. And I don't fellowship with bad people. Again, if we're not careful, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in this room or anybody watching, but if we're not careful, we can fall into the same mindset that's happening outside of the church in the society. We can become angry 
and accusatory of each other. And that is death to the body of Christ. You talk about splitting churches wide open. We cannot let political differences split this body. You cannot let that happen. And I'm talking to us here and those watching that are part of our church. We cannot allow the divisions of politics split us apart and keep us from being together, to keep us from being one another. Last obstacle that we have to be careful of, we have to overcome, it's the distractions of church. The distractions of the church. Now what do I, what do I mean by that? A transition happened from the Old Testament into the New Testament. In the Old Testament, worship was centered around the temple in Israel. The temple. Now you could go to synagogue and you could pray in your own home and you could meet with God just fine. But everybody knows worship, the big worship, where you really go to meet God in a special way, that's the temple. That's where the sacrifices are offered. That's where the priests are. That's where the worship happens. And so, in the Old Testament, and in the days of Jesus, it was, it was a come and see faith. Judaism was a come see, come to the temple. All the nations, come see. Come hear the law being read here in Israel. Come to Israel, come to the temple. It was a come see religion. But with Christ, He said, the days are coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, not in this temple or that, will you worship God. Because the Father is seeking people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you can do that anywhere. And then he sends out his disciples, go into all nations and make disciples. And teach them and baptize them. So what was in the Old Testament a come see faith turned into with the New Testament, especially after the destruction of the temple, it turned into a, a go tell faith. Go be the church. Go be the people of God right where you are in every nation, in every land, in all time. Go Go and be the people of God right where you are. Start churches. Plant churches. Evangelize. Witness. Form local assemblies. Ordain pastors. Be the church out there where you are. You don't have to come to the temple. We don't have temples in Christianity. We have Christ. And we have the body. That's the temple. That was the transition that happened from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But what happened in Christianity... What happened in church history is we have reversed it back the other way. Now Christianity has become a come to the building religion. Come to the building. Come take part in the programs and the activities that happen in the building. Because this is where we do our Christianity. In the building. It was funny that in Sunday school this morning, uh, a couple of the guys that were t- and folks that were talking in there, they were basically preaching my sermon for me. I had to get up and leave. <laughs> Listening to Dan and Matt go back and forth, I'm like, have y'all read my manuscript? <laughs> have you been in my office? It was funny because they were saying some of these same things. And I, w- I just want to pose this question to you. If the building... 
that is such a blessing to have. As Dan said, it's a luxury to have this facility and this building, this beautiful place. It's part of the thing that part of the, one of the things that attracted me here was this beautiful space we have and the history. If the building and all of its activities vanished overnight, how much Christianity would your life have left? If we didn't have a building, would we still have a church? Whereas, I like the way Dan posed it this morning. He said, do we have a portable faith that can survive the loss of facilities and buildings and comfort and convenience? Would we still be Christians in our own homes? Would we still gather in other locations if we didn't have this facility? Would we still be a church? How small would the, would the membership numbers become? It's something to think about. It's an obstacle to get addicted to the space we sit in. As beautiful and as thankful as we are for it. What a blessing it is. But if we didn't have it, would we still have a church? Would we still be the body of Christ? These are seven obstacles that we face as a church. Not just us. This isn't unique to us. As one person said, it's not personal. It's general. So it includes you. It includes us. And so the purpose of this series is to help us overcome these obstacles and get back to the basics. To be the church outside these four walls. If we are going to be the church Christ has called us to be, you, each of you, and me too, we must decide to be the church with and for one another. And you have to make that decision to be the church for one another, to be members of one another in your own lives and in your home, in your own homes. And this begins by recognizing that we are the body of Christ. We are members of one another. If our church is going to survive 2021, 2022, the rest of this generation and into the next, we've got to be the church the other six days of the week and not just here on Sunday. This begins, as I said, by recognizing what Scripture says in our passage. We are members of one another. And that means we have certain obligations to one another. And so that takes us to the second point. Our obligations to one another. Now, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments begin with a preface. And it states the reason or the foundation for those commandments. This is what our, the Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism says it like this. This is questions 43 and 44. It says in question 43, what is the preface to the Ten Commandments? Answer. The preface to the Ten Commandments is in these words, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Question 44. What doth the preface to the Ten Commandments teach us? Answer. The preface to the Ten Commandments teacheth us 
that because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, therefore we are bound to keep all His commandments. The Ten Commandments do not start with, all right, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not. It doesn't just launch right into a bunch of do's and don'ts. It starts with, this is who I am. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, God. And I'm not just any old God. I'm your God. And I'm your Redeemer. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I rescued you from Pharaoh's bondage. I brought you out and made you my people. You are my chosen special people that I have saved and redeemed from slavery in Egypt. Now, therefore, because of who I am and because of what I've done for you, now in gratitude, not to earn what I've already done for you, but just to express your thankfulness and your gratefulness. Walk in the path that I lay out for you as my special people. Begin to walk in the path of obedience. Here are my commandments. Do them because I have already redeemed you, not so that you can earn something from me and maybe redeem yourself. You're already out of bondage in Egypt, therefore walk as my people. That's how the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament starts. The imperatives flow out of the indicatives. An imperative is... Do this, and an indicative is this is what's true. And you always start with what's already true. The indicative says, here's what's true, and the imperative says, therefore, here's what you do. Because this is true, indicative, therefore, here's what you do, imperative. And what's the indicative? What's true? God is our God our Redeemer, our Savior. Therefore, walk in these ways that I lay out for you. So the preface to the ten one another commandments in our series is the reality that we are one body of Christ and members of one another. That's what Paul says in verses 4 and 5 in our text. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, what does it mean to be this one body in Christ? It means what Paul says over in 1 Corinthians. I invite you to turn there with me. We'll read a few verses together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning in verse 12, Paul explains this metaphor of one body, many parts at much greater length. He says in verse 12 and 13, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Just like your human body, right, has all kinds of parts, fingers, toes, feet, wrists, hands, Neck, shoulder, I mean, we have all these different parts, and yet you're one unified, whole, complete body. And he says that's how the body of Christ is. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink 
of one spirit. The Holy Spirit is what knits us together into one body in Christ. Whenever you put your faith in Christ, you are united to Christ by faith. You are knit to Him. You are bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh. You are now one flesh with Him, connected to Him in the deepest part of your being. He is the innermost reality in your life, connected to you down at the source and root of your being. You are one body with Christ. The Holy Spirit puts you in that body. Just like our bodies are alive because it has a spirit. Remember what James said? James chapter 2, the body without the spirit is dead. What's the spirit of the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit who fills every one of the members and gives life to the whole body. The Spirit puts us in connection with Christ and because we're connected to Christ, we're all connected to each other and we're all filled with the same Spirit. And now we are united as one one body with one spirit. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, uses a very strange Greek word. He, it's hard to translate. Not many translations know what to do with it. It, 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 it. it almost means soul coupled. That you should be this soul couple almost. And he means we together should, be, should have one soul as it were. Can you imagine if you had more than one soul making decisions in your, in your body? <laughs> one soul wants to go this way, the other soul wants to go that way, so you'd be torn in two different directions, you'd be flailing about. This hand wants to pick up the sandwich, but this hand wants to pick up the, the sandwich too, and so you have... I mean, you imagine if you had two souls battling for what your body parts are doing? Two different minds in there, competing? <laughs> go this way, no, go that way. It'd be really awkward to watch you walking down the sidewalk. But the body of Christ is like that when we are not united together. The body starts flailing. This part of the church wants to do that and this part wants to do this. And, and people watching go, this church is, what's wrong with them? It's like you see someone walking on the other side of the street and they walk into a spider web, but you can't see the spider web. You just see them start doing this. <laughs> The world can look at the church and say, what is happening? It's, they're flailing about. That's because on the inside, they don't have one soul. They're not soul coupled. They don't, they're not, they don't have the same mind. They're not on the same page. They're divided. And it's almost like they're fighting themselves for what the body should do. But this says we should be on the same page, to have the same mind to walk in the one spirit together in unity and harmony with one another, to be a united body. Keep reading in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 14. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong in the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Well, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong in the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were just an eyeball, right, that's what he says, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. In other words, just because you, just because you don't have someone else's gifts or someone else's position or someone else's opportunity, that doesn't mean you don't belong in the body. Just like the ear can't say, well, since I can't see anything, I must not be part of the body. Well, no, that's just not your function. You have a different job to do, a different role to play, but you're just as much a part of the body. And you have a very important role to play. It's not that person's role. It's your role. It's what God's called you to do. We have different gifts, different functions, but all of them are meant to serve the good of the body. To work in harmony. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Because we are members of Christ, connected to Christ, we are members connected to each other, and we should live and labor as one for each other. This is what sanctification is about, at least in part. It's about growing up, maturing in the body, becoming an exercised, mature, strong, healthy member of the body so that you can contribute to the overall health and growth and service and effectiveness of this body. And that brings me now to the conclusion. There are obstacles to overcome. Because we're one another, because we're members of one another, we have obligations to one another as one body. And now, last point, in this season we have some great opportunities. This is what we're going to focus on in this series. All of these one another's of Scripture. And we're going to learn together a bunch of wonderful opportunities for how we get to be members of one another. Not how we have to be. Not how old pastor is going to be checking up on us and the elders are going to come and swat us if we're not doing it. No, not a burden. We're not cracking. No one's cracking a whip. This is what we get to do. We get to do this. We get to be the body of Christ. What a joy. What a blessing. What a gift it is to be able to do these one another's with the body. We're going to have the opportunity. You're going to have the opportunity to develop your gifts, your spiritual gifts, to develop your calling in this church, to exercise your different, unique, necessary functions in this body by diving in and putting these one another commandments into practice in real life. Guys, this is an opportunity for you and I to get creative in how to be the body for one another and to use our gifts to overcome these obstacles. It's going to take some creativity. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some strategizing. It's going to take some planning. It's going to take us getting up and getting busy for the glory of Christ. To use our gifts for each other. And let me, let me leave you with this last, this last thought here. What is a spiritual gift? Just real quick. What's a spiritual gift? Sometimes we think it's like the Holy Spirit zaps you and gives you a supernatural power or something. Turns you into like some kind of super Christian. A spiritual gift, as far as I can tell, 
except for the really miraculous ones that the early apostles had, like healing and raising the dead and stuff like that. Okay, no, none of us are doing that. But for us, what's a spiritual gift? It's this. It's a sanctified talent. A sanctified talent. It's the, it's the intersection of where burdens meet opportunities. Where efforts fit interests and bear fruit in people's lives. You plug yourself in somewhere, you make the effort, and sometimes it, it just won't click. Like when I tried to do children's ministry years ago. You've got to be burning bush called to minister to kids. <laughs> I'd much rather deal with you adults. <laughs> Thank you very much. I tried it once and it was horrendous. <laughs> Ask me sometime, I'll tell you the nightmare that I had. Okay? It didn't fit. I made a great effort and I failed miserably. Those kids ran all over me. It didn't fit. So I put my effort somewhere else. And, and it just, and all of a sudden, ah, oh, it starts, things start clicking. People started saying, oh, this is good. We benefited from this. The Holy Spirit used you there. You start seeing some fruit, a sanctified talent where efforts fit interests and bear fruit in people's lives. It's that, oversec that intersection where you have a burden to do something and there's an opportunity to, to, to do it and all of a sudden it fits. And you have to work and find where you fit. If the ear starts trying to smell, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong position. Find out what the ear can do. Find out what you can do. Let us as elders help you get plugged in. But also you think about how you can do it too in your own life. Effort is not a skill. I learned this in retail. <laughs> Effort is not a skill. It's a choice. It's a decision to be obedient. We have an opportunity to learn God's specific will for us and get busy abounding in good works for one another, for the good of our neighbor. And your neighbor's the people sitting around you in the pews and washing online. For the good of your neighbor. For the growth of our church, for the health of our body, for the advancing of the kingdom of Christ. And for the great glory of God. This is what we're called to do. This is what we're going to learn together. And I hope you're excited to be challenged and encouraged as we move forward. And learn how to be members of one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the power that it has to change lives. To grow churches. To teach us how to be the people you've called us to be. I pray for each one of us, myself included and perhaps especially, that I would be challenged, I would be changed, I need to be a better pastor, I need to be a better husband, I need to be a better Christian, I need to be a better member of this church. Help me individually learn how to be a better member of this body. Help all of us, O oh God, to be better members of this body. Forgive us where we've failed and where we've hardened our heart. Help us to recognize the obstacles and to work diligently to overcome them 
And most of all, Lord, I pray that you would give us such joy in being what you've called us to be. To not think of it as a burden, but to think of it as this is what we get to do. We get to be this body. We get to be members of each other. Oh, it's going to be messy and hard. Thank God. Nothing that's really worth it is going to be super easy. Sanctify us, Lord. Strengthen our body. Grow our church. Deepen our walk with you. Make us who you've called us to be. For your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.